Hey, this is Craig Cannon, and you're listening to Y Combinator's podcast. Today's guest is Wojciech Zaremba, who's a co-founder of OpenAI. OpenAI is a nonprofit AI research company. They're focused on discovering and enacting the path to safe artificial general intelligence. This episode is a bit of a primer on AI, as we have several AI interviews coming up, and they tend to be a bit more specific than this one. All right, here we go. Hey, uh, today we have Wojciech Zaremba, and we're going to talk about AI. So, Wojciech, could you give us a quick background? Uh, I'm a founder at OpenAI. Uh, I'm uh, working uh, on robotics. I think that uh, deep learning and AI is a great application for uh, robotics. Uh, prior to that, I spent uh, a year at Google Brain and I spent a year at Facebook AI Research. And uh, same time, I graduated from, uh, uh, I, I have finished my PhD at NYU. Can you explain how you pulled that off? That seems pretty rare. So the great thing about uh, both of these organizations is that um, they are focused on research. So throughout my PhD, I was actually publishing papers over there. Uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend uh, both organizations uh, as well as, of course, OpenAI. Yeah, okay. So most people probably don't know what OpenAI is. So could you just give that quick uh, explanation? So, uh, OpenAI uh, focuses on building AI for the good of humanity. Um, we are a group of researchers and engineers um, collaborating together who essentially try to figure out what are the missing pieces of artificial, of general artificial intelligence and how to build it in a way that would be uh, maximally beneficial to humanity as a whole. Uh, OpenAI is uh, greatly uh, supported by uh, Elon Musk and Sam Altman. Uh, in total, um, we gather an investment of $1 billion in the group. Which is quite a lot. And so uh, what are, I mean, I know some, but uh, what are the OpenAI projects? So there is several large projects going on. Simultaneously, we have also, we are doing also basic research. So... Uh, let me first enumerate uh, uh, large projects. Um, these are uh, robotics. So uh, in terms of robotics, we are working on um, manipulation. We think that manipulation is the complete, it's the one uh, of the parts of robotics which is the most unre uh, uh, unresolved. Sorry, just to clarify, what does that mean exactly? So it means that, um, so, so in robotics, there are essentially three major uh, uh, three major families of tasks. Mm -hmm. One is locomotion, which means how to move from, uh, let's say, how to walk, how to move from point A to point B. Second is navigation. Uh, it's, say, you are moving uh, in the complicated environment, such as, for instance, a, f a flat or uh, a building, and you have to figure out actually uh, to which which rooms which uh, rooms have you visited before which not and uh, where to go uh, and the last one is manipulation so mm -hmm. it means um, you want to grasp an object let's say open an object uh, pl place objects in various locations and the third one is the one which is uh, currently the most difficult so it turns out that when it comes to arbitrary objects um, current robots are unable to just grasp an arbitrary object. For any object, it's possible to hand code a single solution. So say as long as, let's say in factory, if you have a uh, same object, uh, like, a, I don't know, you are producing glasses, mm -hmm. and there, there exists a hand-coded solution to it. There, there is a way to 
uh, by code to write the program saying let's place a hand in the middle of the class and then let's close it but there is no way so far to write a program such that it would be able to grasp an arbitrary object. Okay, gotcha. And then um, just very quickly, the other OpenAI projects going uh, on? So uh, another one has to do with uh, playing a complicated computer game. Uh, and the third one uh, has to do with playing large number uh, of uh, computer games. And you might ask why it's interesting. Uh, and in some sense, we would like to see... Yeah. Uh, that so so human is uh, has an incredible skill of being able to learn extremely quickly mm-hmm. uh, and it has to do with a prior experience so let's say even if you haven't played ever a volleyball if you try it out for the first time in within 10 or 15 minutes you would be able to grasp uh, how to actually how to play and it has to do with all the uh, prior experience that you have from uh, from different games. If you would put the child, or like uh, if you would put an infant uh, on the volleyball ball, ball, uh, court and ask ask him or her to play, uh, yeah. it would fail miserably. But I mean, due to the fact that it has experience coming from large number of uh, other games, uh, or let's say other uh, life situations, mm-hmm. it's able to actually transfer uh, all, uh, all the knowledge. So. Uh, at OpenAI, we're able to pull together a large number of computer games, and computer games can be... It, it's quite easy to quantify how good they are in the computer game. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, best AI systems... So, so, first of all, it's possible for many computer games to write a program that solves it pretty well mm-hmm. uh, or plays it well. Um, there are also results... Uh, from let's uh, there are results uh, in terms of reinforcement learning or uh, in terms of so-called deep reinforcement learning mm-hmm. showing that it's possible to learn how to play a computer game these are uh, these are like the initial results uh, are coming from deepmind mm. uh, and um, but, but simultaneously um, simultaneously it takes extremely long time like in terms of real-time execution Mm -hmm. to learn to play computer games so uh, for instance uh, Atari games uh, for for instance in terms of real-time execution it takes uh, something around three 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 years of of play Hmm. to learn to play simple games. Uh, I mean, it, it can be hugely paralyzed, therefore it takes a few days to train it on uh, current computers. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's way shorter for humans. Like, <laughs> in yeah. 10 minutes, we can kind of... Teach it how to play and win? Yes. Okay. And is that through you giving it feedback? So the way how it works in a uh, case of computer games, uh, the feedback comes from computer uh, from the score. So it looks at the score in the game and tries to optimize it. And uh, I'd say that's kind of reasonable, but I would say simultaneously is not that satisfying to me. So the reason why it's not that satisfying to me, so, so the assumption uh, underlying reinforcement learning is that the, there is some, uh, some environment. And I, environment, you are an agent and uh, you are acting in environment by executing actions and getting rewards from the environment. Mm-hmm. And the rewards might be uh, taught as, let's say, pleasure uh, or so. 
And the main issue is that it's actually not that easy to figure out what are the rewards in the real world. Uh, further on, other underlying assumption is uh, in being able to reset environment to kind of get to repetitive the same situation. And uh, so the system can try uh, thousands or millions of times to actually finish a game. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, so, so there are some small discrepancies. People also believe that it might be possible somehow to uh, hard code into system rewards, but I would say that's actually one of the big issues that it's kind of unresolved. Like uh, when I look how my nephew plays computer game, mm-hmm. he actually he doesn't look in, uh, on score because he cannot read. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And still, okay. uh, my nephew, play, yeah. yeah, they can play pretty well. Yeah. So, I mean, you can say maybe reward is somewhat different. Maybe reward comes from uh, like a, uh, seeing a nice, uh, hearing nice voice in the game or so. But I would say that's something what is very unclear how to uh, how to build a system mm-hmm. and what system should optimize. So, in some sense, if we have a metric that we want to optimize it's possible to build a system that could optimize for it. But it turns out that in many cases, it's not that easy. And I would say that's actually one of the motivations why I wanted to work on robotics. Because in case of robotics, uh, it's way closer to the uh, system that we care about. So what I mean by that, uh, for instance, let's say you would like your robot to... uh, prepare scramble eggs for you. And so the question is, so how to, how should I build a reward? And in computer games, actually the nice thing is you are getting reward extremely frequently. So let's say anytime you kill an enemy or let's say won't die, it's quite great. But in case of scrambling eggs, it would mean, or the way how people write rewards for systems, it would mean distance from hand to a pen. Then let's say, Somehow you have to quantify what's the if the egg is uh, 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 if you were able to crack uh, open an egg or let's say if the uh, if you fried it sufficiently and how to how to kind of quantify it turns out to be extremely difficult mm. and uh, also there is no way even to reset the system how to reset right. the system to the same <laughs> place so okay. These are like a fundamental issues and the reason why I'm personally interested in robotics is think that actually these challenges will tell us how to solve. So uh, let's start by defining a couple things. So what is artificial intelligence? What is machine learning? And then what is deep learning? Okay. These are pretty good. And this, these are pretty good questions. Okay. Uh, so artificial intelligence is actually extremely broad. Uh, the, the, it's an extremely uh, broad domain, and machine learning is sub-part of this domain. And in essence, artificial intelligence consists of any writing any software that um, tries to solve some problems through some intelligence. It might be hand-coded uh, solution, rules, rule-based system. Yeah, so... Pretty much, it's actually very hard to say what is not artificial intelligence. You can say that, so, so initial version, for instance, of Google search was uh, based on, uh, it, it's, it, it was avoiding any machine learning and it was uh, uh, 
there was like a well-defined algorithm called PageRank, and essentially PageRank uh, counts how many incoming links are from other websites, and that's artificial intelligence. It's essentially a system that does intelligent things for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Then uh, over the time, uh, Google Search started to use machine learning uh, because it it helps to improve results. Uh, but simultaneously, they wanted to avoid it for some time uh, as it's more difficult to, in- to interpret the results and it's more difficult to actually understand what system does. So what is machine learning? Mm-hmm. Uh, machine learning, uh, it's essentially a way of building, or let's say that's a, Essentially, you have data mm-hmm. and you would like to generate based on data program with some behavior. So like the most common example, which is still sub-branch of machine learning, so-called supervised learning. So you have pairs of examples, X comma Y, which means like a, I would like to map X to Y, for instance, either if given email is spam or not spam, or let's say, if an image, uh, what, what is the category of an image? Or for instance, uh, uh, to whom should I recommend given product? Mm-hmm. Uh, and based on this data, I would like to generate the program, mm-hmm. some sort of the uh, black box or some function that for new examples would be able to give you uh, similar answers. Mm-hmm. And that's an example of supervised learning. But the sense... Machine learning means that you would like to generate program from data. Okay. And this usually uses uh, statistical machine learning methods. So somehow you count some bar, how many times given events, given events occurred or so. Okay, gotcha. And then the third being deep learning. So deep learning, uh, that's uh, also, that's a kind of, uh, that's uh, one uh, paradigm in terms of machine learning. Okay. And idea behind is radically simple. <laughs> okay. So um people realized that um if you want to as I said machine learning means that you get data as an input mm-hmm. and program as the output and deep learning says the, the 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 computation of the program the 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 w- w- what I'm actually doing with this data should involve many steps, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> not one step but many. Okay? okay, and pretty much that's it in terms of meaning of deep learning. So you might ask why it's so popular now and how it's so different from what was there before. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that if you assume that you do one step of computation, let's say that you take your data and you kind of have single if statement uh, or small number of if statements, Mm -hmm. then like like for instance, say if you have a, I don't know, let's say your data is is a recording from a stock market and you are saying you're going to sell or buy depending on value speaker or smaller than something or if um, if let's say depending on who is the new president or so you, you are making some decisions so in a sense turns out that 
in case of models that are based on single step, people are able to prove plenty of stuff mathematically. Mm -hmm. And in terms of models that require multiple steps of computation, uh, mathematical proofs are extremely weak. And for a long time, models that do single step of computation, they were outperforming models that do many steps of computation. But recently, it kind of changed. And it, it was, for many people, it was obvious for a long time that true intelligence cannot be done in single step, mm -hmm. but it would require many steps. But uh, so far, many systems, actually, they worked in the way that they had kind of very, very shallow. Mm -hmm. They were very shallow, but simultaneously extremely gigantic. So what I mean by that? You could uh, generate, let's say, for, for the task of interest, uh, let's say it's a recommendation, mm -hmm. you could generate large number of features, let's say thousands of them. These are features saying, uh, for instance, from, um, let, let's say you want to do movie recommendation. You can say, is movie longer or shorter than two hours? Is it longer or shorter than one hour? Mm -hmm. That's, there are two features. You can say, uh, uh, is it drama? Is it thriller? Is it something? And you can generate million of these and then, uh, or let's say 100,000, that's actually quite reasonable value. And then your shallow classifier can um, essentially determine based on the combination of uh, these features, either to recommend it to you or not. Okay. Uh, in case of uh, deep learning, you would say, let's kind of combine it for multiple steps. Mm. And that's essentially, that's, entire difference and in case of deep learning uh, the most successful uh, embodiment of deep learning is in terms of neural networks okay so let's define that too so neural networks it's also extremely simple concept okay. and that's something that people came out with long time ago and means and then uh, it means follows it's you have an input this might be say vector or it might have some additional structure like a, let's say image so it's kind of a matrix two-dimensional and you neural network it's a like a, it's a sequence of layers layers are represented by matrices and what you do is you multiply your input by a matrix mm -hmm. and apply some nonlinear operation and multiply it again by a matrix and apply nonlinear operation. You might ask, why would I even need to apply this nonlinear operation? Turns out that if you would multiply by two matrices, mm -hmm. it can be reduced to multiplication by single matrix, like a... a composition of two linear operators can be uh, written as single uh, linear operator. You could multiply these matrices together and the result of the, uh, and, and you could condense it into single matrix. Okay. And nonlinearity is something uh, like the, the, uh, the, the classical nonlinearity, but there are, so, so say there are extremely large number of variants in terms of what I said. Uh, but uh, what I just described is so-called feed-forward neural network. So 
it essentially takes input, multiplies it by matrix, nonlinearity multiplies it by matrix. Examples of nonlinearities, there is something uh, that, that, that one which is classical, something called uh, sigmoid. So sigmoid is a function that uh, it has a shape of a S character, mm-hmm. S letter. It's kind of close to zero uh, for negative values. It grows uh, to half at zero and then goes up to uh, one uh, when the values are larger. It kind of modulates the input and that's uh, the most classical uh, version of activation function. It turns out that the one which is even simpler empirically works way better which is called ReLU, Rectify Linear Unit. And this one is ridiculously simple. ReLU is just maximum of 0, x. So when you have negative value, you set 0. Mm-hmm. you have positive value, you just copy the value. And that's it. So you might ask, so first of all, what? what are the successes of deep learning? Why we actually believe that it works? Why, what change and why it's so much different than it was before? And there are like uh, some few differences. Yeah. Uh, this is a good, good question. No, it's exactly where I was going to go, but I was going to uh, ask beforehand. Um, yeah, why, um, why neural networks are a thing now as opposed to in the past? The main difference is all of a sudden we can train them to um, solve various problems. And let's say one family of problems, these are problems in supervised learning. So better than any other method, they can map these examples to labels. And then on the holdout data, on test data, they outperform anything else. And in many cases, they get superhuman results. And is that just a function of like computational power that we have access to? When it comes to models, and neural networks is an example of model, there is always a question, so how to figure out parameters of a model? So there is some training procedure, and uh, the most common procedure for neural networks is so-called stochastic gradient descent. It's uh, also a ridiculously simple procedure. And it turns out that empirically it works very well. Mm. So people came out with vast number of learning algorithms. Uh, Stochastic gradient descent is an example of one learning algorithm. There are uh, others. Let's say there is uh, something called Hebian learning that's motivated motivated by the way how uh, neurons uh, in human brain uh, uh, learn. But this one so far empirically is uh, working the best. Okay, um, so then let's go to your the question you asked yourself, which is why now? Like, w- what's happening to make people care about it right now? Um, so, uh, so since twenty years ago, uh, there were several small differences in terms of how people train neural networks, and um, there is a large increase in compute computational power. Uh, so I can speak about the major advances. Mm-hmm. So uh, number one advance, I would say that's even the, the, the one advance that's actually an old one, but it seems to be uh, extremely critical, something called convolutional neural network. Okay. Uh, and what does that mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, it's actually a very simple concept. So 
let's say your input is an image and uh, um, let's say your uh, image is of a size 200 by 200 uh, that has also let's say three colors so uh, that would uh, uh, the, the number of values in total is actually 120,000. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you would actually squash it into a vector, this vector would be of this size, okay? And then you can think that if you would like, let's say, to apply neural network to essentially multiply it by a matrix, and let's say if you would like to have output of the multiplication of similar size, let's say 120,000, then all of a sudden the matrix to multiply it would be of a gigantic size. Okay? And learning, lear learning consists of estimating parameters of a neural network. And it turns out that empirically uh, that wouldn't essentially work, that uh, uh, if you would use uh, algorithm of backpropagation, you would get quite poor results. And people realized that uh, in case of images, you might want to multiply by a little bit special matrix that uh, also allows to do way faster computations. So uh, you can think that neural network as it applies some computation to the input. Uh, so, so neural network applies some computation to the to the input. You might want to constrain this computation in some sense. So. Um, you might think as you will have several layers, maybe initially you would like to do very local computation and it should be pretty much similar in every location. So we would like to apply the same computation in the center as in the corners. Maybe later on you need some diversification, mm -hmm. uh, but you want to pre-process image the same way. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that when you take an image or any actually two-dimensional uh, structure, so the other example is you can take voice and it turns out that you can, by applying Fourier transform, you turn voice into image and all the, uh, it's like a two-dimensional so like waveform? Uh, it's a, yeah, so you take a waveform yeah. and you apply Fourier transform. Okay. Uh, and uh, essentially uh, on the x-axis you have time as the, uh, speech uh, uh, goes on and on uh, y-axis you have different frequencies and that that's an image and speech recognition systems they also they they treat sound as it would be an image i didn't realize that that's really cool okay uh, so so that's why i'm saying that the the technique that like i the the the, it, the, the also like a kind of as a sidetrack yeah the cool <laughs> thing about neural networks is it used to be the case that people specialized in processing text, images, sound. And these days, this is the same group of people. Mm, that's really cool. Uh, they, we are using the same method. So coming back to what is convolutional neural network, uh, yeah, as I mentioned, you would like to apply the same computation uh, all over the place in image. And essentially convolutional neural network uh, uh, says, when we take an image, mm -hmm. uh, let's just let's just connect a, a neuron with 
local uh, uh, local values on the image, and let's copy the same weights over and over again. Mm. So this way you will multiply kind of uh, multiply values uh, in the center in the corners by the same uh, uh, same values in the in the matrix. Okay. And so an input and add, so input to the convolution is an image and output is kind of also an image. Uh, can think that, that there is also some specific vocabulary. So in uh, the the this kind of three dimensional image is like uh, you have uh, height and uh, you have also depth. Mm-hmm. So let's say in case of image that's three dimensions and then you apply convolution, you can kind of change number of. Uh, depth dimensions usually people go to let's say I don't know 100 dimensions or so okay gotcha and then you kind of have several of these layers and then there are so-called fully connected layers which are just uh, conventional matrices so I would say that's one of advances that actually happened 20 years ago already Uh, another one which is it might sound kind of funny but for a long time people didn't believe that it's possible to train deep neural networks okay. and they were uh, uh, they were thinking quite a lot about uh, what what are the proper learning algorithms uh, and it turns out that um, so, so, so let's say when you train a neural network you start off by initializing weights to some random values mm-hmm. And it turns out that it's very important to be careful to what magnitudes you initialize weights. And if you set it to right values, and I can even give you some, let's say, uh, intuition of what it means, turns out that then simplest algorithm, which is called stochastic gradient descent, actually works pretty well. Okay. So, some sense, as, um, as I said, let's say, layers of neural network, they... Uh, kind of multiply uh, they multiply input by matrices and a property that you would like to retain it's you don't want the magnitude of a values to blow up and also you don't want it to shrink down and if you kind of multiply if you choose random initialization it's easy to choose some initialization that will kind of you know turn the, 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 the magnitude will keep on increasing and then if you have 10 layers and let's say in each of them you multiply by 2, 2, 2, 2, 2 yeah, yeah. and then the output all of a sudden is of completely different magnitude and uh, learning is not happening anymore and if you kind of just choose them and it's a matter of choosing variance or like a magnitude of initial weights huh. and if you set it such that let's say output is of the same magnitude as input and everything works so basically just adjusting those magnitudes was, was what proved that you could do this with a neural network yes oh wow okay that's kind of ridiculous that let's say people haven't realized it for a long time but that's what it is and, and when did when and where did that happen uh, it happened actually at the university of toronto oh okay so then um, at the jeffrey's hinton lab so the crazy thing is uh, people had several schemes in terms of how to train deep neural networks. And one was called generative pre-training. And uh, so let's say there was some scheme what to do uh, in order to 
get to such a state of neural network that all of a sudden you can use this trivial algorithm called stochastic gradient descent. So there was like an entire involved procedure. Mm -hmm. And at some point, uh, Jeffrey asked his student to, you know, compare it to uh, like a, the, the simplest solution, which would be adjusting magnitudes and like a showing how big difference there is. <laughs> that's crazy man oh my god okay so the, a, a question that's a little bit broader is just like then what has happened in the past say five years to excite people so much about ai so i would say the most stunning um were so-called um imagenet uh results mm -hmm. so first of all i should tell you where was computer vision five years ago. Then I will tell you what, what is ImageNet, and then I will tell you about the results. So um, computer vision is a field where essentially you try to make sense of images, like a computer tries to interpret what is on the images. And it's extremely simple to say, oh, here on an image, there is a cow, a horse or, or so. But uh, for computer images, just the collection of numbers. So it's a large matrix of numbers and it's very difficult to say, oh, uh, like how to, it's very difficult to interpret what's the content. And it was the case that people came out with various schemes how to do it. Uh, you know, you could imagine, I don't know, maybe let's quantify how much of a brown color there is such that you can say it's a horse. Mm -hmm. Uh, like, a, like a simple stuff Roughly, but uh, yeah. uh, people of course uh, uh, came out with more clever solutions but uh, systems were quite bad I mean you could feed the picture of a sky to a system and it was telling you that there is a car <laughs> it's like a, uh, so that's so good yeah, yeah. so uh, then uh, uh then Fei Fei Li, Fei Fei Li is a professor at Stanford. Uh, she, together with uh, her students, uh, she, uh, she, she collected a large data set of images. And the uh, data set is called ImageNet. It consists of 1 million images and 1,000 classes. So that was, by the time, actually the largest uh, data set of images. Uh, and a class, just to clarify, being like car might be a class? Uh, yes. So there is uh, the, the data set, I would say it's not perfect. Uh, it has, for instance, it doesn't contain uh, people. That was uh, one of constraints over there. It contains large number of uh, breeds of dogs. So, <laughs> <laughs> so right. that's the uh, quirky thing about it. Yeah. But... Uh, same time, I mean, that's the essential data set that made deep learning happen. Uh, Types of dogs. Um, no, no, the, well, the, the fact that it's so large. So, so what happened, like, there was like a plenty of teams actually participating in ImageNet competition. And, uh, uh, and uh, let's say, even as I'm saying, there is 1,000 classes over there. So if you have a guess, a random guess, then probability that your guess is correct, it's essentially 0.1%. The metric there was slightly different. You actually, if you, you make five guesses and if one of them is correct, then you are, you are good. Okay. Because there might be some other objects and so on. And, 
Um, and I remember when I, for the first time, when I have seen that someone made, you know, uh, that system, uh, that someone created a system that had 50% error, I was impressed, okay? I was like, oh man, it's like, <laughs> like 1,000 classes and it can, it can say like uh, with 50% yeah. uh, error what is there. I was quite impressed. But then during competition, like a pretty much like a, all the teams got around uh, 25% error rate. There, like a dif- there was a difference by one person. There, like a, for instance, a team from University of Amsterdam, some Japanese team, like a pl- plenty of people around the world, mm-hmm. and a team from University of Toronto, uh, led by Jeffrey Hinton, uh, and uh, that's uh, like the, the, the on team was uh, Alex Ryszewski and Ilya Suskaver. Uh, they actually got to something like 15%. So let's say pre- all other teams, they were like at 25%. The difference was 1%. Yeah. And the, these two guys, they got to uh, 15%, okay? Yeah. Uh, and the uh, crazy thing is that within... Uh, so, 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 so within following three years on this data set the the error dropped dramatically i remember like uh, next year the um, error got to let's say 11 percent eight percent i was kind of you remember by by that time i was wondering what's the limit how good uh, can you be and i was thinking five percent that's like a, that's the best and even uh e- even there there's like a, a humans trying to see how far they can get if they spend uh, arbitrary amount of time on let's say looking on other images and kind of comparing to be able to figure out what is there i mean it's it's not that simple for human for instance if you have plenty of breeds of dogs <laughs> and like a who knows breed, but but let's say if you if you can uh, if you can use uh, some external images to kind of compare and so on that uh, that that helps but in the sense Within several years, people got down, I believe, to 3% error. And that's essentially superhuman performance. Uh, And as I'm saying, uh, it used to be the case that systems in computer vision, you take a picture of a sky, they were telling you it's a car. And all of a sudden you are getting to superhuman performance. And it turns out that these results actually are not just limited to computer vision. The people were able to get uh, amazing uh, other systems, let's say speed recognition or so. So, because that's like the underlying question, right? Because like, it's not, I mean, to someone not in the field like me, it's not necessarily intuitive that computer vision, computer image recognition would, you know, seed artificial intelligence. So, I mean, like what came after that? So, so in the sense, the... Uh, the crazy thing is that the same architectures yeah. uh, work for various tasks, and all the sudden that the that fields which seem to be unrelated, they started benefit from each other. Uh, so, as I mentioned, it turns out that problems in speech recognition can be solved in very similar way. You can essentially take speech, apply Fourier transform, and then speech starts to look like an image. And you apply similar object recognition network to kind of recognize what are the sounds over there. And like a phonemes, uh, 
uh, and uh, so ph- phonemes are like a kinds of sounds so that and uh, then you can turn it into text and so that's where it was so it went to speech after images so, and then yeah then the next big thing was essentially translation uh, translation was extremely surprising to people that's the result by uh, Ilyasu's cover mm-hmm. so uh, translation is an example of another field that actually lived uh, there by its own mm-hmm. and uh one of the crazy things about translation is input is of a variable length and output is of variable length. And it was unclear even how to kind of consume it with neural network, yeah. how to produce variable length input, variable length output. And uh, uh, and Ilya uh, came out with an idea. There is something called recurrent neural network. So, I mean... Um, let's say recurrent neural network and convolutional neural network, they shared an idea, uh, which is you might want to use the same parameters if you are doing similar stuff. Mm-hmm. And in case of convolutional network, it means let's share the same parameters in space. So let's say let's apply the same uh, transformation to the middle of image as in the corners and so on. And in case of recurrent neural network, this says, as we'll be reading text from left to right, I can consume first word, can create some hidden state representation, and then, uh, then on the next time step, when I'm consuming next word, I can take it together with this hidden representation and generate next hidden representation. And you are applying the same function over again. And this function consumes hidden representation and next word, hidden representation and word, hidden representation and word. So it's, uh, it's relatively simple. The cool thing is if you are doing it this way, regardless of length of your input, uh, you have the same size of a network. Mm, mm-hmm. And the way how his model uh, worked, and uh, that's described in uh, uh, in a paper called Sequence to Sequence, essentially consume uh, word by word uh, sentence that you want to translate. And then when you are about to generate translation, you essentially start emitting word by word and at the end, when you emit a dot, that's end. That's so cool. And it was quite surprising to people. By that time, they got to decent performance. They were not able to beat uh, 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 phrase-based systems. And uh, now it's it's like outperform, <laughs> <laughs> like a, lo- a long time ago already. Uh, and uh, yeah. The, the, the one uh, other issue that people have, so with uh, neural network systems, like in case of translation, the problem with deploying it on the large scale uh, is that it's quite computationally expensive and uh, uh, it requires essentially, and, and the, in deep learning literature, there are various ideas how to make things way, way cheaper computationally after you train it. So it's possible to throw away large number of weights or essentially turn floats, uh, 32-bit floats into uh, uh, smaller size uh, numerics uh, and so on and so forth. And pretty much that's the reason why things are uh, not largely deployed in production systems out there. 
but neural network based solutions are actually outperforming anything what is out there. There are a couple more things I would like to just define for a general listener. Um, so there are a couple words being thrown around a lot. So narrow AI, general AI, and then super intelligence. Um, can you just break those apart? Sure. So pretty much all AI that uh, we have out there is narrow AI. No one built so far general AI. No one built uh, super intelligence. So narrow AI means artificial intelligence. So it's like a piece of software that solves a single predefined problem. Mm -hmm. General uh, AI means it's a piece of software that can solve huge, vast number of problems, all, all the problems. So you can say that human is general, it's generally intelligent because okay. you can give an arbitrary problem and human can solve it. Okay. Uh, but for instance, battle opener can solve only battle opening. <laughs> right. Uh, so pretty much when we look at any tools out there, at any software, uh, our software uh, is good in solving single problem. For instance, uh, our chess uh, playing programs cannot drive a car. And for any problem, we have to create uh, a separate piece of software. And general uh, artificial intelligence is an exam is a software that could solve arbitrary problems. So how we know that it's even doable? Because uh, we uh, there is an example of a creature that has such a property. <laughs> Uh, um, and then super intelligence is just, so I assume, just the next step, yeah. Essentially, super intelligence means that it's uh, more intelligent uh, than human. Uh, um, yeah. Cool. So given all of that, given that like we're basically at a state of narrow AI across the board at this point, um, where... Where do you think is like, what's the current status of this stuff? Um, where do you see it going in the next five or so years? So as I mentioned, there are essentially machine learning. There, there are various also paradigms. So the, one of them is supervised learning. There is something called unsupervised learning. There is also something called reinforcement learning. And so far, the the supervised learning paradigm is the only one that works so remarkably re remarkably well that uh, it's ready to be applied in business applications uh, all other are not really there uh, and uh, say so you ask me where we are so we can solve this problem other problems they require further work uh, it's very difficult to plan with ideas how long it will take to make them work the thing which is very different with contemporary artificial intelligence is that we are using precisely the same techniques across the board mm -hmm. uh, uh, simultaneously majority of business problems can be framed as supervised learning and uh, therefore they can be solved with current techniques mm. Uh, as long as we have sufficient number of input examples and what we want to predict. And as I mentioned, the pairs can be 
extremely rich like uh, output might be a sentence mm-hmm. and uh, current systems work pretty well with it and nonetheless it requires an expert to uh, train it yeah and so then given the um given like pretty substantial hype we see um what do you think of it all the f- the field is simultaneously underhyped and overhyped so <laughs> uh from p- perspective of business application as long as you have pairs of examples pe- 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 pairs from like a, that indicate mapping okay what's the input what's the output it's oh, we, we can pretty get pre- pretty often get to superhuman performance mm-hmm. uh, but in all other fields we are still not there and it's unclear how long it will take so I'll give some example let's say for recommendation systems you have um, often companies like Amazon they have uh, examples of million, millions of users and they know what they bought when they were happy or not and that's an example of a task that is pretty good for neural network to learn what to recommend to new users mm-hmm. simultaneously uh, Google knows uh what is the good search query for you because on the search result page you are clicking on the links that you are interested in and therefore they should be displayed first uh, and uh, in other fields it's actually quite often more difficult like uh, in case of let's say apple picking robot mm-hmm. uh, it's difficult to provide supervised data telling how to move an arm toward uh, Apple. Therefore, that's way more complicated. Mm. Same time, the problem of detecting where Apple is, it's where better defined and can be outsourced to human to annotate plenty of images mm. and to uh, give localization of the Apple. And quite often, the rest of the problem can be uh, uh, prescripted by uh, uh, by uh, engineer, hmm. uh, but the problem of how to place fingers on an apple or how to grip it, it's uh, it's not well scientifically solved. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we have a couple questions then at this point. If if people were to be interested in, in learning more about AI and um, and maybe you know working with OpenAI or doing something. Um, how would you recommend they get involved and in, in educate themselves? So, let's say, a um, good place to start is Coursera. Coursera is pretty good. There is also a lot of TensorFlow tutorials. TensorFlow is an example of a framework to train neural networks. Okay. Uh, uh, also, uh, Andre Karpati's uh, class at Stanford it's extremely accessible mm-hmm. uh, you can find it on I believe on YouTube mm-hmm. yeah and then like in terms of um, actual exercises so um, in case of uh, TensorFlow tutorial um, many of the problems uh, so, so I believe in case of Andre's class uh, there, 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 there might be homework uh, and in case of TensorFlow exercises it's quite often easy to come out with some random thought after let's say reading like a, I mean you can take for instance uh, let's say 
like the, the simple task over there is let's classify, uh, let's classify digits and uh, let's classify pictures of digits. Let's assign them uh, classes. You can try maybe download some some images from some other source like a Flickr. Let's try to classify it toward tags. Okay, so so given that you guys are working on um, with robots at this point. Um, one of the other like things that's thrown in like kind of part and parcel with AI is automation, uh, specifically of like a lot of these low level uh, blue collar jobs. What do you think about uh, the future? Maybe the next ten years of those jobs. So I believe that uh, we'll have to uh, to offer to people uh, a basic income. I, I super strongly believe that actually that's the uh, only way. So I don't think that it will be possible for 40 years old uh, taxi driver to reinvent uh, himself every 10 years. I, 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 I think it might be extremely hard. Uh, other crazy thing is People define themselves through job, and that might be another big social problem. Simultaneously, they might not even like their jobs. Like, uh, if you ask someone, "Would you like your kid to uh, to to sell in a supermarket, to be a seller in the supermarket?" They would answer no. And uh, maybe it's possible to live in a world that. Uh, there is abundance of resources mm-hmm. and people can uh, just enjoy their life. I think we're going to have to um, figure out a way. I mean, maybe maybe people will always find purpose, but I think like making it easier to find that purpose will become much more important in the future if automation actually happens to the degree people talk about. Um, and what about um, what about just like yeah, influences on you that like maybe have inspired you to work uh, with robotics and in AI. Are there any like books or films or any media that you really enjoyed? There is pretty good book called Homo Deus. Uh, actually, describes the history um, of humans and uh, then speaks uh, then has various predictions about the future or where we are heading. That's one pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there is nowadays there is like a plenty of movies about AI and how it can go wrong. What's the best one? I think Hair is pretty good. Okay. Yeah, Ex Machina is also pretty good. Cool. All right. Do you have um, any other last things you want to address? Oh, I think no. No, thank you. Okay. Cool. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the show and leave a review on iTunes. After doing that, you can skip this section forever. And if you'd like to learn more about YC or read the show notes, you can check out blog.ycombinator.com. See you next week.